to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston. This evening, I'm joined by the biggest, the fattest, the drunkest of them all, our good pal BFD, and the one and only Rivers McCown. How are you guys doing tonight? We definitely Woo! are quarantined. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been, I've, like, I, like I mentioned before on the webs on this podcast, I feel like an astronaut. Really, I work from home, and then I go for a walk, or go for a run, and then I go back into the spaceship and hang out there until the next day. And uh, you know, at least like some there's open spaces and that sort of thing, but it's been pretty much contained over here. So the for the Texans, the 2020 off season is pretty much over, and it's now pretty much time to hang out and enjoy the sun whenever things open up, if they ever really do, and publish season previews and wait until training camps are open, if they ever do as well. And right now the Texans have, so far they re-signed all their own players, they made their trades, they sifted through free agency, they completed the 2020 NFL draft, and uh, I still really don't have any idea what they were trying to do or what they accomplished this offseason. So the point of this podcast is to try to find some semblance of what they're trying to accomplish and find some sort of clarity for it. Uh, and, and so what he did was he invited EFT, <laughs> who thinks the plan was terrible, and me, who thinks the plan was terrible. So I wonder where this is going. Yeah, that's a good, uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's a good like, it, NC-17 to... warning before the podcast. And we're supposed to figure it out when, when you know... <laughs> Oh, also, they, they also, don't know what they're doing. You know? I'll, I'll, I'll jump in further. <laughs> I'll jump in further and say uh, there is no way that this off season is done yet. And they always, unlike every, on like every official thing they do, they put out now, the people are like, well, I mean, they traded for Laramie last year. They traded for Duke Johnson last year. You don't know. You just never know with that Bill O'Brien. And I guess you don't. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, there's only there's only so many you know kittens left in the litter for him to trade as well too, and. Um, I do want to bring that up at the end. So I know, Rivers, you wrote a, a really great post talking about, I guess, kind of the psychology of fandom and this idea that, you know, every single time there's something negative about the Texans written by the national media, Texans fans view it as, you know, they're out to get them. And I know we kind of talked about on this podcast before, too, where I think a lot of it's just like being a fan is not only being a fan, it's, you know, liking your team and being happy when they win and sad when they lose, but it becomes like a part of the personality as well, too. Um, so like, who do you think has been right throughout this? Do you think it's like a lot of the national criticism, like Bill Barnwell ranking the Texans as having the worst off season in the NFL? Like, do you think that criticism is warranted? And do you think they actually had the worst off season in the NFL this year? Yes. <laughs> I mean, there's no, there's really no way to spin it. If you're looking at it from a logical perspective, if you want to be a fan, I think that's fine. I think, you know, kind of what we've done here is, as a country, we have decided that uh, our, our new social order is believe whatever you want. And, I mean, that happens to go in a, in a rough spot in a lot of, uh, of things that really matter. And then there's football. And if you want to be the fan who's like, well, this year, uh, you know, we replaced DeAndre Hopkins with Brandon Cooks, and that's going to make us faster. Fast, yeah! Then, I mean, good for you, man. But um, if you look at you know, just on the pure merits and everything. Bill O'Brien's not a good general manager. And yeah, 
this is this is headed towards a place where only Deshaun Watson's development could save this team to to make it like an actual contender, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you, BFT? Yeah, pretty much what Rivers said. You know, it's it's. Um, I'm I'm sorry. I'm going to kind of skip to one of the one of the uh, questions that you have because sure. I think it's it's apropos to hit it now. Is on offense, we traded DeAndre Hopkins for Brandon Cooks, David Johnson, and Russ Blacklock. I, I don't know how you look at that and say that we won that trade. I mean, unless it's, you know, we're flashing back to 2016. And so if you if that's like your main move, and not only that, we had no first-round pick, <clears throat> and we haven't even hit the hangover yet. Next year is going to be the true hangover draft. It, you know, we're really... We watched a lot of teams get better while we actively made ourselves worse from a talent perspective. Look, even if Brandon Cooks is the guy he was last year or in 2018, David Johnson's done. He's been done for a couple of years. He was never very good when he was great, supposedly. So we have actively drained talent from this team, and that does not make us better. So I, I don't get, you know, I, I get it. Like a lot of fans say, you know, everything that Bill O'Brien does. I mean, Bill O'Brien's like a cult at this point, right? You have people who are 100% behind him and are never going to admit that uh, Bill O'Brien does anything wrong. And you've got the rest of the fan base. Yeah, and that uniform for this cult is short sleeve butt-up shirts and ties. Um, so I know, BFT, I know we did a podcast earlier this year talking about the Hopkins trade whenever it happened. And we didn't know what pick number 40 would it become and end up becoming Brandon Cook, or we didn't know what what pick number forty would become. It became Ross Blacklock, and then we didn't end up knowing that the pick number fifty seven be Brandon Cooks at the time of the trade. And so BFT, since we now know exactly what they got for DeAndre Hopkins, do you feel any better at all about the trade now that you've seen the full returns from it? No, and it's the same kind of logic that goes behind the the Clowney trade, right? It's like, hey, we got three lesser guys for this one star. I mean, let's look at these three guys. Brandon Cooks is a guy who's, he's fast. So is DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins ran, depending on what you see, about a 4-4-4-40. And Hopkins and Cooks ran a 4, you know, what, 3-5 or something like that. Look, Hopkins isn't a slow dude. So let's just not even use that logic. David Johnson comes with a huge contract. We could have signed Carlos Hyde to do a better job doing that scheme at a lesser price. Look, there are 50 David Johnsons in the NFL looking for jobs right now. And then Russ Blacklock, a guy, you know, Rivers did a nice post on him yesterday, I think. He's going to rely on his quick burst, you know, his his first step quickness to be successful as and pad level to be successful in the NFL. But man, if he doesn't win that, he gets washed out pretty easily. You don't trade the first or second best wide receiver in the, in the NFL for one Jag and David Johnson, a prospect and a guy who might only play one more year in Brandon cooks because of his injury history. I just, I don't see how that's a good deal rivers. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess one thing I would say is I've actually seen a lot of posts come up recently that kind of follow the logic of, Oh, well, I mean, Deshaun Watson is going to consign to an extension. Some Texans are going to have to do some major cost cutting. And then I look at their roster and I'm like, oh no, look at all the players they'll lose that are so valuable. <laughs> and they have, I think, only Larry Tensel. By God, term. We, might, we might only have one year of David Johnson. The horror. 
Oh no, Zach Fulton. No, he has been so good, so versatile, such 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 a, a phone booth winner that, that there's just no way the team can go on without him. And I just see these posts and I'm just like, really, dudes? This is this is this is the thing we're gonna talk about. Okay. Yeah. Just pay them. <laughs> well, like one of the things that happened to that trade was like O'Brien mentioned it was because of money, and then as the offseason progressed, he needed more and more of his conference calls on his back porch. He kind of stopped talking about the monetary aspect of it because it really wasn't you know money thing at all. Um, there was any like soft about it or like you know interpersonal relationships. You know Hopkins and O'Brien and, and that Hopkins are calling SI said you know they haven't had a, any sort of relationship for the past few years as well too so it was a money issue like you mentioned too if you look at the Texan salary cap like Larry Tensel is the only player signed long term on this team really right now and they like if you know your team's not bad for paying your best players a lot of money your team is bad whenever you pay mediocre players a lot of money or bad players a lot of money like when you pay David Johnson a lot of money or you know even in this case paying Brand Cooks you know 14 million and who knows what they'll get out of him um this year as well too and so Rivers, like, I know the other thing that's kind of happened this year as well, too, since this trade has been made, is that there's this idea that the Texans are going to be more of a vertical offense. And I know on this podcast and, you know, a lot of things I've wrote about, so I was kind of clamoring for more downfield passing from DeAndre Hopkins. Last year, he was 50th in completions, uh, eighth on attempts with 109 of her passes over 15 yards. He averaged 14.4 yards in attempt. He had 1,570 passing yards as well, too. And he's you know an elite downfield thrower. Uh, but then sometimes the Texans have games like they had against Jacksonville, London, where he can play zero passes over 15 yards. And then all of a sudden they're playing the Baltimore Ravens or the Chiefs, and they need to throw the ball downfield. They're not really kind of prepared to, it feels like, at times. So like, do you buy that as that being a reasoning for this trade? Like, do you think Tim Kelly is all of a sudden going to orchestrate a downfield vertical passing offense? And uh, was that like the backbone for why this trade was made? I mean, they definitely believe that internally. Um, they definitely believe that the more speed they get on the field, the better off they are. That's something that's been echoed in the, uh, you know, taking Kenny Stills on in that uh, Tunsil trade. That's something that's been uh, drafting Will Fuller in the first place. Uh, a guy who some scouts were not that high on to be honest. And I think they've won that one pretty handily, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's definitely been a prerogative of Bill O'Brien's and, and now to this extent, Tim Kelly. And the thing is, um, you know, they love to do the Yankee route, right? The, the, the double crossers and yeah. Can I see those guys being successful in it? Sure. Uh, on a player too, uh, you know, but if that's your offense, like, like it has been the last couple of years, that's, the, the design itself is what's making this this feel kind of stagnant and not really matching the results that it sh- should. And I don't think any amount of speed you add to that is going to matter. And, you know, Hopkins also, you know, he's one of the best uh, receivers in the NFL dealing with press coverage, dealing with uh, being tightly covered. You know, he's kind of always open. He's got, he's got the, uh, the range uh, whenever... <laughs> whenever, whenever he's covered, he's not really covered, and you can throw it to the ground. He'll catch it, all that stuff. Yeah, but but now you know you place that Brandon Cooks, and all of a sudden, you know Cooks's thing coming out was that he had problems with press coverage, and that's your that's your number one guy now. So I don't know, man. Um, I'm I'm I I I believe they believe that, but I struggle with seeing how it all lines up and and being good long term. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, even even for me personally, like this whole vertical passing offense idea, I think that's the way this offense should be. But like until I see, you know, David Johnson out of the backfield run, you know, four verts with Kenny Stills, Will Fuller, and Brand Cooks, like I don't believe it until I actually see it and consistently see like a really aggressive vertical passing attack. Um, just because, like you mentioned, that Yankee concept is, you know, eight guys pass protecting, two deep crossers, and you put the middle of the fit, middle of field safety. Uh, in conflict and then you throw off of him and like it works sometimes and sometimes there's not anywhere else to go with the ball and then Watson gets you know lambasted uh, for holding on to the ball and not being able to find a check down or you know try and make something happen that's not there and that sort of thing um, BFD do you buy this whole like super fast super vertical passing offense oh hell to the no <laughs> I mean not even a little bit because Bill O'Brien's still the head coach Tim Kelly has been has been the understudy for Bill O'Brien for all these years. Do we really have any sort of level of faith that all of a sudden the offense is going to drastically change under Bill O'Brien? I mean, you guys are, are, are speaking you know, correctly, but that's the third down play that you guys are talking about. You're not talking about first down. You're not talking about second down. And so I don't see any changes whatsoever because we're not going to, the Tigers are not going to change the stripes. And we're still going to be trying to establish the run first and second down we're going to get ourselves into a lot of trouble doing so and then everybody's going to go okay here comes the here comes the play that's it this is the play that's it <laughs> and and that's what it, our offense has turned into in a lot of ways and the only thing that breaks out of that drudgery is when deshaun watson does something special yeah yeah i was i was watching some hopkins highlights today and one of the plays I was watching again was that you know deep vertical pass he caught against Buffalo that kind of you know, started the comeback for them in the fourth quarter, and that looked like a, a Yankee concept play where you know Fuller is running that deep cross from the backside, and rather than you know uh, rather than Hopkins runs it, he takes you know that vertical route the field and beats Tre'Davious White, and then all of a sudden they're you know back there in scoring position to get ready to tie the game, and it really seems like a play where like maybe Watson Hopkins are like we're not doing this, they're gonna be ready for it. Uh, and where they were ready for all of our passing concepts, so just take out vertically down the field and make it happen. And one of the one of the things I can't get past too, this whole idea of like the super fast vertical offense, is that DeAndre Hopkins is a really great vertical receiver. He's one of the best players in the league at doing it. Yeah, he doesn't do it necessarily with you know blow by speed, but he does it with the ability to create separations, press coverage, his arms, his hands, um, and the ability to catch, go up and catch just about anything too. And so like with Cooks in his in his lost year last year. Like there's not really like a big dramatic difference from Cooks running a fade route and Hopkins running a fade route and Hopkins is better at it speaking with bar none as well too. Um, so Rivers, do well, you, I, I, I want to uh, just before yeah. before we transition from this, I just want to what you said was DeAndre Hopkins beat Tre'Davious White, one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. I don't know if Brandon Cooks does that, and I think that's ultimately the big difference. Is Hopkins is a guy you want in those kinds of situations and Brandon Cooks at this stage of his career is not yeah and, and the other thing about Hopkins too I mean he he was top three in first down receptions last year it was him Michael Thomas and Travis Kelsey and so like there's this like kind of disconnect here where I think you have a lot of repetitive pieces in the passing offense and I still kind of see a trade happening that hasn't happened just yet whether if it's Stills or Fuller or whatever and uh and so, like, with Hopkins, though, they do have a big blind spot on third down, and I think the idea for that's going to be, you know, Randall Cobb's going to be there in the slot to try oh, and catch God. a lot, of, to convert <laughs> a lot of first downs for it. 
Um, so Rivers, do you see like a big in- increase in this offense at all from the fact that they could have a, a dependable slot receiver in Randall Cobb compared to having Kiki Cutie, who you know maybe runs runs routes incorrectly or uh, fits routes incorrectly and uh, has issues with spacement with other receivers, and also just kind of like isn't ready for the ball occasionally? Do you think like paying Randall Cobb? $7 million a year is worth having something like dependable at the slot receiver position. I don't know that he's actually dependable. That's the thing. I mean, like if you were getting Randall Cobb of 2016 to, to, to take a BFD thing from earlier, like, yeah, that's, that's that I'm really interested in, in putting in this, in this Texans offense. But the guy we saw last year, I mean, his stats were really inflated because he played on a great offense in Dallas um, he dropped like eight passes, which last I checked is more than Hopkins dropped in like the last two years. <laughs> so like selling him as like, like, do I think he can get open and get zone? Sure. Do I think that he can, you know, win a couple of his routes over the middle, uh, man to man? Yeah, I buy that. Sure. But, but like, do I think he's like, like a superstar? Do I think he's like some kind of hidden cog that's going to make this thing all go and, and work out well? Probably not. Probably not at this point in his career. Yeah, and the other thing about Cobb, Cobb too, and like David Johnson, Brandon Cooks, is that there's you know big injury concerns too. And uh, you know, last year Cooks had his fifth concussion, and he had pretty much had a lost season where he didn't exist at all um, last year after that Browns game. David Johnson was the starter in Arizona. They had that back injury, and then Chase Edmonds came in with and looked like a better running back in the offense. It could actually you know, get to the edge on their stretch zone place they would run. Um, and definitely like a faster, more dynamic running back. And then Kenyon Drake came in with that trade, and Drake played you know entirely different sport than David Johnson. And then you have you know Cobb who's had you know a variety of you know soft tissue injuries and nagging injuries, and like like you mentioned, like he hasn't had a really good season even going back to 2016, and or a good season since 16, and he hasn't had like a great season since like 2014. And uh, you know it's 2020; those days are a long time ago too. Uh, so do you see like a, a big you know, injury, do you see like a, a big situation where the Texans could have injuries pile up throughout the year, uh, depending this much on these skill position players, BFT? Totally. Uh, you know, I, I want, I want Rivers to take the baton. I want Rivers to talk about Cobb on third downs because I think he really is going to do it true justice. But when we talk, talk about like, look, I don't have any faith that Cooks is going to be is going to play more than 10 more games as an NFL player. I don't. That's, I think we're at five concussions now. Uh, it clearly affected him last year, clearly affected his play. It does that, okay? Speaking from experience, it does that. So um, I have no faith in him. Randall Cobb, look, last year he was schemed open by an offensive coordinator that knew what he was doing. We don't have an offensive coordinator that knows what he's doing in order to create easy yards. So at least that we know of. Maybe Kelly's going to blow us all out of the water. Maybe he's going to be an offensive super genius. What we were promised that Bill O'Brien was supposed to be, I ain't betting on it because Brian O'Brien's not going to let him. I mean, period. So um, we're going to have injury problems, and you know what? We're going to do something like we're going to trade Kenny Stills. All this talk about we're going to be fast and have these three verts. We're going to trade Stills. We're going to cut Cutie. We're going to trade Will Fuller. We're not going into the first game of the season with the current ride receiver set anyway. And so we're going to get, we're going to have Cobb cooks and we're going to have depth problems. What is the, what, what is the draft pick that the Texans are getting for any of those guys? 
<laughs> I, I, I have no idea, but I, I just don't see... I don't see any of the one of those three guys is not going to be on the roster opening day. I don't think. I mean, QT, QT, I would not be surprised if he got cut outright. Like, okay, but but between because you're you already talked about the injuries. Like, I think kind of the design of this almost is like somebody's going to be hurt, but we have enough receivers to cover the void, and that probably is not the best strategy, but it is a strategy. <laughs> <laughs> But but like, you know, if you were to trade them, knowing that they all have the question marks that they have, knowing that you're not trading cooks because you just gave up a two for him, um, what can you get out of those guys? Like a four, maybe? Do you think you get a three or a two for Fuller? I don't think so. Maybe a three. But like the, on the last year of his contract with with not a whole lot of uh, <laughs> not a whole lot of uh, uh, cumulative value going forward outside of, you know, a free agency. I don't know, man. That's I, I I almost can't see them trading only because the way that they have designed the roster makes it hard for them to get good value. Yeah, and, and I think also too, like in I mean, I think one of those guys is gonna be I think Q's gone for sure. I could see either Fuller stills gets trade for you know, maybe a mid round pick. Maybe you can get a third for Fuller, uh maybe a fifth for Stills or something, but even that I don't know. But also like consistently it seems like they have somebody get hurt in training camp and I think maybe they may stave off kind of cutting or trading somebody just because of the typical summer injuries the Texans have because they like to do things like have Kiki Cutie return punts in, uh, in a preseason game against the Green Bay Packers and kind of start off season on off notes to begin with. Um, and going back to the injuries too real fast, you know, the thing about Cooks also, I mean, like Cooks as far as a deep threat, like he's a, a damn dynamic deep threat. Like he's really great at that one aspect of his game. Like it's cool how he can run, like outrun guys horizontally to create space vertically and he's fun to watch and hopefully you know the head's okay and he has a, a really good you know 2020 season but the one thing I, I think for sure has been missing from his game in Houston are all the you know jet sweep motions all the screen passes all the little slants I think Houston as much as possible they should try to get him away from anything like short and quick where he can take shots over the middle and even the hit he took against Cleveland wasn't a play like that that was him running you know deep dig against course coverage and uh and the cornerback peel back off and hit him hit him in the side um but so like i i see that there's just like a big gap in this offense and maybe and i think cobb is supposed to fill that role and that's the two big concerns i have is like in the passing offenses one is hopkins is really good and he is a great vertical receiver even if houston didn't use him like that all the time and so i don't fully buy like this speed thing this vertical thing just because they traded hopkins and the second thing is they don't have like a, a go up and get it uh first down receiver and also at the running back position right now, they have David Johnson, Duke Johnson. And last year, David Johnson, you know, was injured with a back injury and that sort of thing. Um, BFD, how many carries do you think David Johnson has in 2020? Do you think he's just going to step in and play that Carlos Hyde role uh, in Houston? Yeah, because he's going to... They can talk all they want, but really at this point in their, their careers, David Johnson is a poor man's Duke Johnson. And I think that what we're going to do is we're going to misuse David Johnson because we're going to look, they're they're going to look at oh he's so dynamic out of the backfield. Well, we had Duke Johnson on the roster last year, and we didn't use. Him. Mm-hmm. So I don't see that there's again all this like projection that we're going to go do these real fun things because we have these players. I don't think really works. And David Johnson's just kind of done. He's just man. He's a guy who runs without heart. He doesn't he doesn't hit the holes well. 
he looks slow. Mm-hmm. I mean, he doesn't look like the guy who came out. So I, I just, I don't even, so what do I see? We're going to Carlos hide him up the middle. We're going to chum him up the middle 250 times. Unless he gets hurt, of course, which is a high probability. Man, <laughs> this is this is already going to a dark place. Hey, you know what? <laughs> because you know, it's you... going to suck. So bad watching that. <laughs> You you know what was my favorite part of the off season, and this is gonna this is gonna be like hard to remember after what has it been like two months now. My favorite part of the off season was when the Hopkins trade went down, and everybody crushed it. All the commenters crushed it. All the uh, people who generally tend to be really you know roses and daisies optimistic crushed it. Like nobody liked that trade the minute it came down, and it was the first time uh, in a long time that I can remember actually like feeling like part of a United fan base, even though it was a terrible trade. And now, like two months later, we've got talking points out here. Everybody's like, "Oh yeah, the speed is the speed is here. The speed's gonna win it all." Now that we've got Brandon Cooks on the roster, I mean, that's just gonna change everything. And <laughs> It's just right back to where it was before that. And just for that, that that brief little glimpse, that little three-day era, it was actually really nice to live in that. <laughs> it was. Yeah, it was like the, the sun, the moon, the earth were all aligned for, for those three days. And now everything's back in orbit all over the place. Um, yeah, I, I can see David Johnson having 250 carries like immediately. I was kind of watching some Carlos, some Lamar Miller highlights, and it was so funny. He went from you know 190 carries to 268 and gained 15 pounds. And they don't have like a typical running back one who can you know carry the ball consistently on this roster. You know you don't want Duke Johnson doing that. You don't want David Johnson doing that. But they don't have that running back on the roster currently, unless one of these UDFA guys can do that, which you can never count anything from them at all whatsoever. So I'm assuming David Johnson have 250 carries or so. And the other thing too about like a lot of his value in the passing game. A lot of that came off of dump offs out of you know four wide receiver sets where everybody's running deep downfield and David Johnson just kind of peels out and then also beating linebackers on like fade routes and these were linebackers um, like Devondre Campbell and Nick Vigil and just half awful you know atrocious linebackers out there and so I think BFD made great points saying like yeah you already have a better version of that in Duke Johnson on the roster too and so I don't know I can see David Johnson just being one of those guys who Bill Bryan consistently gives the ball to him first down. And uh, and doesn't even like take advantage of the of the skill set that he kind of even sort of has um, there too. So I, I know. Yeah, I, I I wrote a whole post about David Johnson when that like like after that trade went down, and I kind of digested it a little bit. And obviously, you know, rooting from everything, but all the numbers are just like, hey, by the way, Duke Johnson's better at running the ball. He's better at catching the ball. He's uh, got the same kind of bugaboos about uh, run scheme that David Johnson apparently has so <laughs> it was one of those things where you look at it and i feel like it's almost been a philosophy under o'brien since he became general manager but you you've got to have these running backs that can catch the ball uh can be threats in the passing game which is kind of a noble idea and i don't think o'brien is stupid as much as people kind of try to to cast him that way so much as he's very stubborn in all the things that he believes in mm-hmm. even after he's been proven wrong multiple times and last year we had and I'm, if i'm counting this right between duke johnson and uh, carlos hyde there were 78 uh targets 
that's just not enough if you're going to invest that much time caring about passing backs to the point where you're like, I'm going to keep Karan Higdon on the practice squad or whatever. <laughs> like, just, just, just if, if you're going to do that, cool. I think it's great to get running backs involved in the passing game. Get them involved. <laughs> yeah, that and also, like, have a running back like Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey. All of a sudden, like, you, fi- you have a guy who is worth, you know, jumping the ball off to because he can get you, you know, six, seven yards a catch instead of the typical, like, you know, five, you know, six point whatever um, somebody else can get on there too. I know I botched his numbers, but like at least like have somebody who's like, you know, transcendent and elite at that skill if you want to make it a focal point of the offense too. Um, Rivers, I know you listened to the Tim Kelly press conference. So I do, after listening to that, do you have any <laughs> dramatic change in faith that he'll be able to lead this offensive revolution here in Houston? After listening to that press conference, um, all I know is that I took a five-hour nap. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, I have a lot of respect. And people, some people call me out like being this negative. No, I have a lot of respect for people who can do the job that he does properly, which is to say nothing for so many, so many words for so long. And just 15 minutes of that, like... It's got to be like the devotion to that kind of craft. Uh, you know, I, I, I have some, some things that I'm really good at and, and I respect. I respect the game. But listening to that press conference put me to sleep. Um, there's really not a whole lot to be gained from it. It's all just empty words in the breeze. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm... I'm cautiously optimistic that Tim Kelly will do some different things. Uh, I'd like to think that will happen. Uh, I'd like to think that maybe he was part of the the driving change behind you know how they play in that Patriots game on the on Sunday Night Football where you know you're doing these weird uh, Hopkins uh, Watson handoff pitches and all that stuff. Like I'm glad that he's part of that process. I think that you know if you really want to squint in with your optimistic eyes that yeah maybe he will do some different things. But listening to him talk uh, fills me with nothing but yearning for the great void beyond. <laughs> <laughs> and that brings us to our, our first listener question from at Exile in Texas. And they asked, did you vomit your mouth when you heard our new play caller talk this week? Hashtag mini OB. And I think uh, wishing for the great void is the great beyond is a little bit better than vomiting your mouth. Uh, BFD, did you listen to Tim Kelly at all this week and did it make you vomit? Not nearly as long as y'all did, because I was just like, man, I got better things to do than listen to nothing. <laughs> I mean, that's that's like white noise that I put on at night that I sleep to type stuff. You know, and here's, the, and here's the thing. Like, he, does, he did the press conferences all last season. I put a ton of video out there of all these press conferences. And, and you know how many times I found a Tim Kelly quote interesting enough to put it out there? Like, <laughs> like, like one out of like... <laughs> like 18 or 20 availabilities. Uh, so I knew coming into this what we were getting into. <laughs> gotcha, yeah. So, I mean, here's the thing. Bill, Bill O'Brien, the one thing that he's really good at is controlling the narrative. Because you're not going to hear like the stuff that went on with uh, with uh, Brock Osweiler. Like that came out to make Bob look really good when all the, you know, when things started going downhill. Like Bob is really good about making sure that his people like like John McCain are are saying what he wants them to say to make him look good. That's what Bill O'Brien's really good at. And so he's also taught that to Tim Kelly. Look, if you don't say anything meaningful, then there's nothing to hold your fire feet to the fire about. And that's what 
you know, I, I don't expect a lot of guys to go out and say really, like, I don't expect Sean Payton type people to go out and start drawing plays out on, on Twitter in the middle of the night. But Bob controls the narrative well. He's taught Tim Kelly well. They're not going to tell us Jack unless they want to. With all due respect, I don't think that John McCain's going to be reporting anything from now on. John McClain, thank you. Pancake. <laughs> See, that's what I get for not calling him pancake. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, so last season, the Texans finally had a positive offensive DVOA in the Bill O'Brien era. They finished at 0.4%, which was 17th last year. And so, BFD, if the Texans' offense improves in 2020, do you think it's going to be because of the Hopkins trade was good and they, they unearthed some secret gems and Brandon Cooks and David Johnson and got them really involved well in the scheme and Randall Cobb came in and solidified the slot receiver position? Or do you see this an improvement just mainly being in another year in Watson's development, but also just like a change in play calling mentality where it's no longer first and 10, Carlos Hyde in the middle, uh, you know, second and eight, a quick pass, DeAndre Hopkins for six yards, and then you're going off that on third down. Like if the Texans do improve in 2020 in offense, like what's the path? Like what do you see happening for that to occur next year? I, I'm going to give credit to two things. I'm going to start with the, with the snarky one first which is that I saw somebody tweet the other day that the Texans offensive line is being vastly underrated. Like they're going to be a massive powerhouse in 2020. And that's great considering we've invested three first round picks and two second round picks and a third round pick and major free agent money to build that offensive line. I have the largest contract in left tackle history. Uh, you, you know, we, we have spent more to build up that offensive line than, than reasonable. So I think the improvement there is part of the love snark and snark. It's Deshaun Watson. It, Watson. It's his show. I mean, the dude is, is, is a miracle worker. So when I, when I see that offense improves, it's not improving because of the play calling it's improving because Deshaun Watson week after week after week puts the offense on his shoulders, including Bill O'Brien and carries him down the field. Yeah, um, I guess to follow up with that, like um, I have, like I said, I have some optimism that Tim Kelly will change some minor things about the offense. Hopefully that is uh, something that makes the offense more consistent on a weekly basis, because I never, I, I feel like Bill O'Brien gets punched down a lot on for having a bad offense, and I get it, but there are genuinely weeks where he comes out, he's motivated, he puts on a good show and you know everybody walks away happy and wondering why the hell we can't do that you know 15 times a year instead of four Mm -hmm. Uh, and you look back to even you know deshaun watson's rookie year uh because you know he brought that he brought that dvoa stat deshaun watson's rookie year his dvoa was like off the freaking charts yeah they scored like 37 points a game to that year whenever he was the starter and i think like for for like 13 Tom savage For like the six, the six games or whatever it was, where yeah. O'Brien just had to be like, "Well, he's the rookie. I get. I don't have time to install my offense. Guess I gotta just do things that are good for him." Wow, <laughs> it's it's incredible how when you design your offense around your players, the offense does better. I don't know. That's maybe a, an operating philosophy I'd like to see more of here. But but yeah, I think uh, as BFD said, if there's going to be improvement this year, it's going to be. Uh, from Watson and it's going to be from the play calling itself because I don't think from a talent perspective 
the skill positions have gotten appreciably better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree with that too. I think if the I think the offense can improve this year, but they're not going to improve because uh, you know Brand Cooks and David Johnson and Ross, Ross Blacklock were worth DeAndre Hopkins. They're going to and Randall Cobb is worth you know seven million a year. They're going to improve because there's a dramatic, there's a change in play calling that makes it more of an efficient offense, more of a modern offense. Um, next year, like, even like I was looking at Kansas City's first down numbers, and I think they threw the ball like 250 times on first downs and ran the ball like 70 times on first down. Um, it was something along those lines. Like they threw the ball on first down like four times as many times as they ran it. And like if they do things like that to be more of a, an efficient like modern offense, I think there's the opportunity for them to be better this year. But it won't be because they had some you know, dramatic increase in talent in the season, despite how much they invested into the offense this year and the resource they put into him by trading Hopkins like they did too. Um, the other thing about the offense is the offensive line. Uh, you mentioned about being underrated. So next year, it's going to be Laramie Tunsil, you know, making $22 million a year, two first-round picks and a second-round pick, Max Sharping, Zach Bolton, Titus Howard, and, uh, and Nick Martin starting at center. And so this is going to be pretty much the same offensive line that they had at one point last year. And it seems like that's going to be their week one starting offensive line too. Uh, BFT, how much value do you put in the offensive line con- continuity? And do you think the Texans have an offensive line next year that could, you know, control and win games on their own? Maybe like this type of offensive line we've seen from like the Oakland Raiders do before, or even like the uh, Baltimore Ravens have done before. I, I put a lot of value in continuity on the offensive line. I mean, I've never been shy about that opinion. I think that once you guys have guys who have played a, uh, a lot together and they're able to to pass off uh blitzes better they're able to pick up blitzes better I, I just think that everything improves because you start thinking the same way and that's one of the, the big problems i've had with bill o'brien errors he's just like well i'm gonna take rankin and i'm gonna put him at left guard no right tackle no it's left and tackle. so it's left tackle <laughs> left tackle my bad thank you and so like that's one of the the, the big problems i've had with o'brien over the years and that we've seen no improvement from the offensive line but um from from guys that we had as free agents i mean we watched um uh uh oh my god so fulton wasn't as good and i'm i'm whiffing on the other kansas city chief offensive line i can't believe it thank you big belly so you know we've never developed guys really zach martin uh we, de- we developed Brandon Brooks. He was pretty good. And Derek Newton. Uh, uh, yes. Different errors. But, I mean, you know, these you guys threw me off. Thanks. But anyway. <laughs> so, but anyway, you know, we need to see some real improvement from the offensive line. But, you know, Deshaun Watson's, you know, adjusted sack rate still sucks. It's not all Deshaun Watson. Some of it's on the offensive line, but I do think we'll see an improvement there. I mean, we have gone from one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL to one that doesn't suck, and that's a pretty good improvement. But, man, it's coming at cost. Um, I think it's the wrong question to ask. Uh, the continuity, I do think it matters. I think it's good. But the question for me is how many games they're going to play together because we already saw last year what happens when – uh, Titus Howard got hurt, and all of a sudden we're, you know, right back to the Chris Clark slumming at pits. Um, and I'd understand that uh, the Charlie Heck pick has kind of a stabbed it and fixing that maybe it works out earlier than I think. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend like I know. Um, but but it's it's one of those things where the Texans 
can invest all the money they want in this position, but everybody's got to stay healthy. And kind of like the J.J. Watt idea, like I, I almost feel like they're almost mirror images of each other. Like, yeah, it's great. They have a lot of talent. They've got a lot of continuity. That's great. Are they going to be healthy? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Nobody knows. Yeah, that's a great point. And like, it kind of seems like too for, I mean, it's very difficult for any team to get 16 starts out of their offensive line have like consistent production there. Cause I mean, we saw it at Kansas City last year and how bad their offense was with, or not necessarily, their offense wasn't really bad, but like how bad Cameron Irving was whenever he replaced Fisher. And like, you consistently see examples of that. And, you know, a lot of teams are actually, you know, really good with how they scheme their offense where they can make like a left tackle not that important and uh, still consistently have a good offense despite that. Um, this brings us to a question from at Stroh's fan, you know, and BFD. He asked, first off the bench, Charlie Heck or Roderick Johnson. So if something would happen to you, Titus Howard, heaven forbid, BFD, who do you think would come in first? Uh, rookie Charlie Heck or Roderick Johnson? I'm going to say Johnson, but only because as of today, right now, we're not going to have a real training camp. And so I think a lot of these rookies who are coming in, I, I think we're going to see pretty much across the board with, with a few exceptions that even if we have an NFL season this year, that rookies aren't going to have the most minimal impact they've ever had in the, like the history of the NFL or however melodramatic you want to get about it, because there's not going to be that time in order for guys to get up to speed on a lot of this stuff. I can't, can't see heck coming in and getting any playing time because man, you can't, you can't practice over zoom. So I'm going to go with Roderick Johnson. And because I think that he's got, not only that, he's not half bad. He's mm-hmm. a pretty good little player. Or he's huge, but he's a pretty good player. So that's why I'm going to say Johnson over Heck. Did you guys know that last year there was one game that the Texans cared about where Larry Maytonto didn't start and they won it 26-3? In London. And Deshaun Watson took one sack and was uh, hurried twice. <laughs> I don't know. I just I always find that one kind of fascinating. I know it's it's a it's a bad Jaguars team. I get that people are gonna like see that as ooh, there's was that Rivers he's hating on the Texans again. That's ooh. right. That's right. <laughs> but my, but uh, I always I always find that one really interesting and kind of indicative of I think how much Watson owns that sack rate more than the offensive line. Yeah, my own personal favorite, uh, Laramie Tunsil sack is that Ryan Fitzpatrick had better sack rate than. Deshaun Watson had last year in Miami after you know they traded after they traded you know Lemmy Tunsil over to Houston had Julian Davenport break his leg went with like their you know they were at like their four string tackle and even then despite all that Fitzpatrick still had better better sack rate than Deshaun Watson like it takes an entire ecosystem to protect the quarterback and you know quarterback sack totals are more of a result of the quarterback himself than maybe the offensive line a lot of times too. Um, personally, I think it would be Robert Johnson coming off the bench, but I think it would be heck, but it should be Robert Johnson probably. And uh, I I do think that's a great point you bring up BFT about the lack of training camp, but it does seem like they selected heck, so maybe they could get rid of Johnson because they'd even give him his tender and they actually had to pay him a little bit more money because of how they, they worked that offseason trying to find somebody else that didn't fully work out as well either. Um, so defensively, the one thing I really can't get past this offseason and the thing I've been having a hard time trying to understand here is that they went from having like a a mediocre pass defense, you know, against a lot of bad quarterbacks and teams that really didn't push the ball downfield against them to and having an all-time great run defense to having a below-average run defense last year and, you know, one of the worst pass defenses in football. And yeah, like it was average with J.J. Watt, 
um, out there. But like, if you ever expect Watts to play, you know, more than seven games again, or even like ten games again, or whatever the number is that you want to have out there, like you're, it's it's probably not going to happen. He's probably going to get injured some point next year, and they're going to have to deal with it from there. Uh, but that, despite the, all, all that happening, they are pretty much running the same pass defense back. They had Eric Murray, Jalen Watkins, Timmy Jernigan, Ross Blacklock, John Reed, Jonathan Greenard, and Michael Thomas. And they also didn't re-sign DJ Reader. And they surprisingly released Tayshawn Gibson too. So they lost two of the best players from this defense while adding guys who are either rookies or uh, people m- nobody really ever even heard before unless you're like a devout football a fan who watches every single team or cause I have never even heard of Eric Murray until he signed with Houston as well too. Who's there? You know, four safeties now making, you know, $7 million a year or so too. Um, Rivers, do you have, have you, re- were you able to come up with a good reason why Tayshawn Gibson was released? Um, Bill O'Brien has control of everything now and Bill O'Brien has decided what he likes and what he does not like. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it really comes down to that injury. Like he, 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 he played through that back injury, uh, came back in the middle of the season, try to get it out. And, um, obviously got injured in a meaningless game in week 17, which is one of the things I stand behind as one of Bill O'Brien's dumbest decisions of last year to play him in that game, knowing that you would play the chiefs eventually if you won. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's, I think it's one of those things where he's just not an O'Brien guy. And, and, I I don't know all the all, I I'll, I'll be honest I don't I'm trying to figure it out myself I don't know all the traits to go into an O'Brien guy right now um, I know he likes special team safeties though so Eric Murray come on down <laughs> uh, do you do you think that that was the same reason why DJ Reader assigned do you think it was just as the fact that well he's gonna make you know nine eleven million dollars a year we can't afford that or do you think it kind of factors in that equation of not being a Bill O'Brien guy. I thought the DJ reader would leave after the Denver loss when they talked to him in the locker room and they asked him what O'Brien said. And he was like, I don't know, probably something <laughs> about winning or something. I don't know. Well, on to next week. <laughs> and at that moment, I was like, the mask kind of dropped there. Like, like one of the reasons I, I spend a lot of time watching all of these interviews and, and everything is it's not often you're not often going to get a direct quote that's like, this is happening, but you get the little hints there underneath. And that was a moment where kind of like the mask dropped. You're like, I see <laughs> probably not going to be here next year. Are you a DJ? <laughs> yeah. And, and that was also a case too, where they, you had contract extension talks that um, fell through too uh, over the summer. So it did seem like he was kind of on his way out. And like, I do think DJ reader could have seven sacks in Cincinnati next year with a, a defensive line that's six deep and he can't be double teamed and they can't just slide protections over him and then block, you know, Angelo blocks him with a, you know, a division three offensive lineman in the past game and still be completely fine. So BFT, the Texans did get a new defensive coordinator, Anthony Weaver. And it's kind of a similar situation. The Texans had in 2017 where Cornell went up in the box and in came Mike Vrabel. And that year, the Texans did have one of the worst defenses in football in 2017. And it gave us another year while was injured. And, you know, Clowney was still like figuring things out, but he had his first kind of really great. Well, yeah, I guess it was his second kind of really good season that year too um, in 2017, but the rest of it was really bad. Do you think that there's something Weaver can do here this year in 2020 that Cornell kind of missed last year? Like what are some schematic improvements that uh, Weaver can make in 2020 to help improve this defense? 
first of all, I, I want to go back. I want to reiterate a point I've made several times that Bill O'Brien is perfectly happy to sacrifice defensive talent in order to build up his offense. And I think we saw, mm-hmm. we, we really saw that again this offseason with DJ Reader going. Look, we could have kept DJ Reader and not gotten stupid contracts like Cooks or Johnson, right? We could have done things in order to improve the defense or keep it. But instead, we lost DJ Reader and Tayshawn Gibson. I, did they not get retreat? retweeted by Jack Easterby. I mean, is that the most important factor for being a Houston Texan at this point? So, you know, we could have done things differently. Instead, we were throwing a bunch of Jags to fill a bunch of positions. So can Weaver come in and do something? We could probably do some better things with the the secondary. I think Grinnell maybe got too conservative. Well, he did. He got too conservative with how he was using guys, especially like Aaron Colvin early in the year last year, right? But we're not, we don't have guys who can get to the quarterback. We have three guys who are threats, one who can win one on one battles. We don't know what Greenard's going to give us. We don't know what Black Lock, I'm going to get that name wrong so many times. <laughs> and I'm going to enjoy it every damn time. But we're, we're not, we're, we don't know what these guys can do. And you know, DJ Reader, you're right. He could put up seven sacks a season if, if, if Black Lock and Greenard put up seven sacks combined in 2020 i would be absolutely shocked yeah that would be an an ecstatic thing for me as well uh if those two rookies got eight sacks combined like like that would be a difference maker i feel like but but i guess okay so romeo cornell threw a threw a lot out the threw a lot you know the whole kitchen sink out last year he tried everything he could with that unit i feel like um i do think that he had one glaring flaw which was he was way too passive on third and long and anybody complete passes against the zones that he threw out there so that's something that i do think like any change would have been good for that but uh i have a lot of problems kind of embracing uh this anthony weaver as a as a savior mindset because so much of what i'm hearing so much of what i'm reading appears to tie into okay, well, we really like some Romeo, Romeo Cornell concepts, but actually Rex Ryan was my mentor and Rex Ryan taught me all about football. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to, we're going to add in some more Rex Ryan concepts. Do you guys know offhand uh, what Rex Ryan's final defensive DVOA was in 2016? He, he killed the Bills. He, the Bills was, would have been a Super Bowl contender if it wasn't uh-huh. for Rex Ryan. He killed the Bills. Destroyed them. It was 27th. And 24th the year before that, that team was good because it had Greg Roman as offensive coordinator because it sure as heck wasn't about Tyrod Taylor. We know that, right? So, <laughs> you know, he, he pissed off Mario Williams, of course, is the famous one, but a lot of his players would complain in the media about the schemes. And <laughs> like, like you look at that as, as like a touch point for, oh man, that's going to correct things. And you look at the recent enough history of that. And I'm just like, I'm going to back away from that take. That's, that seems, that seems fairly unlikely to me mm-hmm. that just going over to Rex Ryan's schemes are going to change a whole lot about this defense. Yeah. And- we, we talked Matt and I talked about that defense a lot that season too, because of what Ryan did to it. I remember that. Yeah. It hurt my feelings. Cause I love that. I think, I think it was the same bills team that JJ Watt beat single handedly in 14, I guess. Man, so long ago. And uh, they had that just like, it was Jim Schwartz as the defensive coordinator. And it was just like front four, you know, Kyle Williams, Mario Williams, 
Marcel J- Darius and uh, Jerry Hughes, and like they just rushed four and then dropped back seven. They were they had a top like fringe top five defense that year, and Rex Grind came in and ruined the whole thing. And you know Greg Roman and you know maybe Jim Schwartz could have had like Buffalo make the playoffs before Josh Allen could have uh, that year as well too. Now the other thing the the problem I guess kind of have with the Weaver thing is like Cornell. Like a lot of people complain about Cornell, but they don't point to any reasons why. Uh, like specifically, I think Rivers are the first person's actually said like, "Yeah, on third and long, he's too conservative." Everybody else just says like, "Well, it's too much off-man coverage." And uh, but then you look at their cornerbacks, and they're Jonathan Joseph and Gary and Conley and Bradley Roby. You know, whenever he was healthy, even then, and Lion Johnson Jr., who was one of the worst cornerbacks in football last year. And so, like, I look as they just didn't have the horses at all. And what is it Cornell could do? And I don't know how great Pro Football References charting data is, but they did have the Texans with the top ten blitz rate. Uh, they had him eighth last year, up from uh, 15th the year before in 2018. So I do think Cornell was already pretty aggressive and you know, bring five rushers and try and stun some things, and they just didn't go too well at all either. But it, it is if you if you, if, if you listen to uh, um, Weaver talk, by the way, and you he's been asked the aggression question a couple of times, both from the fans and from um, media in, the, in that press conference or. Zoom press conference, and you notice that he never actually says he's going to be more aggressive. Okay, he, he very much <laughs> backs away from that statement in any way, shape, or form, and has kind of replaced it with like the, uh, "We want our defense to be like our city, be, you know, tough and dependable, and <laughs> and and mentally, you know, all there." And I'm, <laughs> it, it, it's just funny. It's just funny to see a guy like avoid saying we're going to be aggressive when directly asked like twice, because that is such a common new defensive coordinator trope. Every defensive coordinator from like, I don't know, 2002 to 2013 got hired and immediately was like, we're going to be more aggressive. We're going to blitz more. We're going to go right down their throats and we're going to show that quarterback the what, give him the what for. And you just see Weaver kind of like, well, I'm going to pump the brakes on that a little bit, actually. <laughs> yeah, it really is the DC archetype. And uh, and I'm, I must have missed that going through some of the videos and stuff you posted there for it. Um, but so it really does seem like it's, it is really strange to me, though, to have a bottom five pass defense or I guess bottom six pass defense in this case, you know, they had the worst short passing defense in football. They were actually good at stopping the deep ball, uh, you know, which helps them. You have Tayshawn Gibson back there. who's good deep middle and you play that much off man coverage. And, you know, the big problem the Texans had in 18 was they couldn't stop the deep ball. And uh, Cornell did a really good job, you know, trying to fix that and flip that around in 19, even if they were bad in the short game, they, they bent as much as they possibly could last year. But it is weird that they can ha- be that bound defense, not invest a lot into it. And it really just seems like they have a hopes and prayers approach where they're going to be like hoping that a lot of things that have never happened before or, or rarely happen, happen in 2020. So BFD, what do you think is the most likely? Watt plays 16 games. Johnson Jr. becomes a serviceable quarterback. Eric Murray or J or Eric Murray or Michael Thomas can play deep middle safety or Jacob Martin or Whitney Merciless has double digit sacks. What do you think is the most le- most likely thing to have happened in 2020? I double tap myself. I think it's the most likely thing. If that's my choices. Uh, out of all those is Eric Murray playing. He's, he's fast ish. He's got range, you know, maybe he, Perform some sort of miracle back there, but I, I don't. Watt's not going to play sixteen games. We're not going to get double digit sacks from Martin or Merciless. You know, those things aren't going to happen. 
I would uh, I would actually go Lonnie Johnson Jr. Um, improving. I don't know if he's going to be like a standout corner in year two. I think that he can, you know, approach average. I think that he's done a lot of, uh, you know, he's been very he's been very vocal about his work this offseason. I know he's done other uh, podcasts. I think it's called Texans Unfiltered. Please ban me if I got that wrong. But but yeah, uh, I th- I think he's you, you see the work that he's putting in. He's been working with actual trainers and whatnot. And generally speaking, first year for cornerbacks tends to be pretty crappy and i think even weaver admitted that during the press conference like there's not a whole lot of corners that come out year one and just shut people down so the physical tools were always there for him and and i think the easiest of these narratives for me to believe is that uh johnson takes the offseason uh knows what he needs to work on uh comes out in year two and is actually a good player yeah, my, my the one thing I hung out with Johnson is that like even his video in Kentucky was bad though too, and like he's a great body. I I would like to see him play more in like a cover three style defense, and you know that's not going to happen in Houston because they don't have the the coverage linebackers who can play that sort of thing. But um, I I still I still kind of expect Lonnie to you know if he becomes a good corner maybe year three, but I could see him be serviceable in year two. I just think like a lot of really important things have to happen. They have to have a lot of internal improvement for this past defense to even be mediocre next year. Um, BFD, like, do you see any chance at all that this is a mediocre defense in 2020? No. Oh, hell to the no. We got, we got nobody that can get to the quarterback aside from JJ Watt, but he's going to give us four, seven games. Merciless can't win one-on-one battles. Jacob Martin's a great guy in a rotational role, but if you give him more than 500 uh, snaps, he's going to wear down. He's not going to be good. Uh, we don't know what to expect from Blacklock, Greenard. You know, this might be the worst team in the league in creating sacks. And so, so we're going to combine that with the fact that we've got a secondary that has a really hard time playing. You guys are talking about Lenny Johnson. Look, he was he has the physical skills. His footwork is terrible. He's been working on it. We've all seen it. He makes bad decisions, and I don't know how that improves. So he, he, it's like, I, I don't think I've ever seen a guy with those, with that skill set who can't process the game. I'm not saying anything bad about his intelligence or whatever, but some guys just can't. And he reminds me of Lonnie Ballantine in that way. So I, I see this as a really terrible defense. 27. That, that, those are some deep Lonnie cuts there. <laughs> oh, sorry, Lonnie. I, I don't mean it. I'm not making fun of your intelligence, brother. But man, you don't process the game very well. I, I was talking about the deep cut to go to Lonnie Valentine. <laughs> like I haven't thought about, I haven't thought about that guy in like man four years, maybe. The, the physical um, skills. The the uh, didn't he? Valentine came from Kentucky, right? I think Memphis. I think Memphis, somewhere around there. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, we have a Karen no, uh, cut and now a now Lonnie Ballantyne cut. <laughs> Listen, Karen Higdon was on the was on the preseason last year, so I, that's how I remember him. <laughs> anyway, um, talking about the defense improving, uh, I do think that there is bounce back potential as far as uh, getting more turnovers, um, getting healthier, uh, obviously, getting a little bit luckier here and there. Um, I'm not saying that I believe the Texans are going to have a good defense, but like I wrote uh, 
maybe three weeks ago uh, about kind of comparing Weaver to Frank Bush. I think that there oh. exists exists kind of an era where you get that little first year bump. You get kind of the dead cat bounce from where they were last last year and mm. then you know of course everybody's like oh well this defense is much improved you know you just need to give them another year with the with the players and uh some actual offseason workouts this time and everything will be great and i don't know if that's necessarily true but i do i do think that there is an arena where they can improve a little bit from last year yeah i think if they finish like top 10 turnovers that could happen but I, I wouldn't expect that. Like The talent isn't here for a mediocre defense, but I do think if it was to occur, it'd be because of a dramatic like, new improvement in term, turnovers. And you know, more than anything, this defense depends entirely on how many games J.J. Watt plays. Like If he plays, he it could be an average defense. And then whenever he isn't out there, it's just going to be like a, an atrocity, a crime against humanity in those times. Oh, that Rivers, he's being mean to the Texans again. I better tune in and see what's going on. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I just don't see, you know, you, you have Merciless is 31. I think, what is Watt 30 or 31 this 30 year? this year, I think. 30. So you got two guys on the wrong side of 30 who you're counting on to create a lot of havoc. And then you've got Jacob Martin and two rookies. Wow. I just don't see how this is a happy ending. Yeah, it's rough. Um, so I think the Texans' philosophy here is tough, smart, dependable. Have veterans in a, in a coronavirus, <laughs> you know, season. However, that's going to happen because they can't practice and they'll be better able to understand Zoom meetings. Um, Easterby has to retweet you. It helps to be to be a Pisces <laughs> instead of a you know Sagittarius or you know Gemini or any one of those you know evil, stinky. Uh, sort of astrological signs that you can be. And then also, I guess, speed. Speed sounds important as well, too. And so I think that's that's kind of the semblance of the plan here for the Texans is get veterans, get people who Jack Easterby likes, get, vet, uh, get more veterans, get tough, smart, dependable, and then, uh, and then hope Deshaun Watson's really good next year and continues to improve and hope J.J. Watt's healthy. And, uh, and if the play calling's more aggressive, maybe the offense can be good enough. But it still is a team that went 9-3 in one-score games. They won 2.2 more games than expected. And like they, this isn't a team that could have you know, been stagnant from a talent perspective this offseason. And I don't even think, I think even stagnant is a stretch. I think they got worse this offseason. And so like unless Watson's able to pull off the same magic um, next year, I think this is a, a prime regression team for 2020. And, you know, as good, like it's really like if it's all up to Watson, like Watson keeps playing at top five level. Um, the Texans should still be able to win, you know, nine games or so. But there's a lot of like hopes and a lot of wishes, and it really isn't like um, a team that's like a definite playoff team at all this year. And there's a lot of like blind spots in this roster throughout it. Um, Rivers, what is kind of like your outlook as the rest of summer goes on, and you know, the 2020 season creeps closer uh, to beginning? Um, well, I, I think I think you forgot to mention uh, Bill O'Brien's phrenology tools. I think that's <laughs> important. The size of the skull is very important. I, I think the, the shape. Oh, you're a shape guy. I'm a size guy. It's not just the size. It, it, it's it, it's the shape. It's it's both. Okay, it's both. Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's your outlook for the Texans there in the two? Like as we get as the summer progresses and we all get tan and and hot and young. Uh, the summer and the 2020 season begins. What's your outlook as as your like? What do you think about for the 2020 season as we stand right now? Um, 
Well, I, I guess the way that I, that I say I see it right now, uh, of course, you know, things can change fast in the Bill Ryan era. But for right now, uh, I kind of see the Colts, Titans, and Texans on more or less equal footing as far as the AFC South goes. Um, I think they've all been blessed with, uh, outside of the opening five weeks of the Texans, pretty generous schedule. Um, so I, I, I see, you know, that seventh that that seventh playoff team is kind of a uh, a real skate by point for the for the entire division really, but the Texans in general. And uh, I just I'm gonna have a hard time finding a way, no matter how much I hate this team's off season, to believe that they're not gonna win at least seven games um, with Deshaun Watson. And kind of the things that he can do on his own compared to the other quarterbacks in this division. Um, I'm not saying it can't happen, but I'm gonna have a hard time predicting anything lower than seven wins. Um, I just think the way this team is constructed right now doesn't have a very high ceiling, and, and so it, it's it's more just between Watson and Watt. How much do you get? And that kind of is where. You know, they go somewhere between seven wins and maybe like 11 wins at the peak, just based on how those two do, how healthy they are, and what else transpires around them. What about you, BFT? So first, you, you, you brought back a memory. I'm old, right? You guys remember that? I'm old. I turned 50 this year. Uh, so when you made that like zodiac sign reference it brought me back to this movie that was made in 1979 i remember seeing it in a theater called the fish that saved pittsburgh so i just wanted to make sure that everybody goes out and immediately watches that movie because i haven't seen it in 40 years but my my nine-year-old me thinks that movie was awesome i'll have to ask dire chris because so, so when, when, <laughs> when you mentioned zodiac in this way i'll tell you where i went to <laughs> <laughs> and it was uh, it was Zod- it was Zodiac Killer. Killer, of course. And and then my brain took that a step, another step, and reminded of the time when um, friend of the show, uh, Chris Watkins, uh, oh my diehards, God. Uh, started saying that he should wear a kicker's skin as as a coat. And I can't remember who the <laughs> kicker was. I think it was like. It wasn't Shane Lecler, but it was like it, it was Chris a shame. Brown. I feel like no, I think it was Graham. I think it no, was no, Graham. no, it was a shame. I feel like oh, Graham was it Shane Graham? Yeah, that sounds right. Shane Graham, that sounds right. Yeah, that's where my mind went to. Anyway, <laughs> you were going to talk about you were going to talk about actual actually answering the question. So maybe oh. God, I don't know. I had to, ma'am. I cannot believe my mind went to that hook. That was really funky. Anyway, I, I'm going to just kind of say again what River said because. The Texans aren't out of any game as long as Deshaun Watson is the starting quarterback. I mean, it's as simple as that. Um, he keeps us in games. We can get blown out, and somehow Watson's going to come out, and he's going to put a ton of points on the board. You know, we're going to play the Chiefs, and they're going to throw up 57, and we're going to throw up. And those types of games are going to happen. But, man, I can't – I can't. my man crush on Deshaun Watson is huge. And as long as I see him out on the – field i at least have a shred of hope mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I'm kind of in the same boat too. I wrote that power rankings article. And I, I, I believe I had the Colts 13, the Titans 12, and Houston 11, and mm-hmm. all three of those teams. You know, I can see them kind of any which way, and and it really comes down to the fact that like Watson, you know, routinely makes the impossible possible. And I think also like going back to what Rivers mentioned too, where whenever like he's he's on, he can scheme some really good games here and there, and maybe you know the Texans have like four really great scheme games, and then maybe Watson pulls three or four games. Uh, um, out of you know, out of his, you know what, and uh, I don't know, and whenever those happens, like that can maybe give him to seven wins, eight wins, nine wins, and it reminds me of a tweet Mike Meltzer had earlier this summer. He said earlier this spring, he said the best thing that happens to the Texans this off season was the creation of the seven seed, and so it really seems like that's kind of scapegoat <laughs> for the Texans and the entire AFC South, and I don't know. I'll be thinking about that for you know probably another year or so, um, so. Rivers, do you have any other closing thoughts? Anything you you linked up your chest before we finish the show tonight? Um, no, I'm good. They don't call him the best color man in in, in the booth for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Major league reference. Way to go, man! What about you, BFT? You got anything? Uh, I, I was talking to Little Matt. Um, I guess it was last week. God, is it already? Oh my gosh, days fly by for me at this point. Anyway, I was talking to Little Matt last week, and we were talking. To, shut up, Rivers. And we were talking about the fact that the Texans should be a lot more fun to write about. And it's really disheartening that every time we look at the Texans right now, that we still have to deal with Bill O'Brien and his his core that corpse that has that that's that has this rot and the stink over the team and i'm really looking forward to the day we can move on past bill o'brien because this team is not going to go anywhere with him it's actively getting worse with him and one day at some point we're going to have sunshine and roses and flowers and and fuels and and me running around in a little mini skirt it's going to be awesome but right now this team is really difficult to even watch and root for and so I'm, I'm ready to move to the next phase of the Texans no because you still got Deshaun Watson that's fun it's fun you're right can, 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 can you... I can, can I actually do the thing where I be incredibly pessimistic can you beat me oh my god I'm gonna lose my status go for it okay so everybody who wants Bill O'Brien fired I think they're acting in a belief where they think that this is going to change a whole lot about this franchise. But what I think really is going to happen is that will be the only person in the entire front office who knows anything about actual football. <laughs> God. Oh, God. And then we've got Cal McNair as the owner. And Cal McNair is going to, let's be honest, probably dial up a, a, a one of those corporate firms to do a coaching search and the Texans are going to wind up with I think somebody who you know maybe maybe you get lucky and is the GM first and the GM finds a good something but like 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 when you look at the process that unfolds from firing Bill O'Brien it's a lot less fun than the fantasy of just like get this guy out of my life makes it actually sound like <laughs> We're gonna get Jeff Fisher, aren't we? No, no, that's that's too far gone. That's too far gone. But <laughs> I don't know. 
I could, I could, I could see, I could see like uh, maybe maybe like hiring Daniel Jeremiah as GM or something like that. And <laughs> maybe maybe that's like your best case scenario. But but you know you could also just have McDaniel's and uh, God, what's his name? Uh, Lombardi. Like you could have oh. that. You could have that as your follow up. <laughs> that's what happens when you pay these search firms man so right. i mean right. i think the, the texans the texans are in a pretty dangerous spot right now regardless of of, of bill o'brien if you want to talk about franchise long-term future do you know who's great jay gruden that's the guy we need to talk to right now <laughs> hey he was he was referred to as indispensable today or whatever it was <laughs> there was like an article on espn and it was like the indispensable jay gruden <laughs> where that I, was the lead oh is he in cincinnati right now? where is he at Jacksonville's offensive coordinator. Okay, gotcha. Good. That's good stuff. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Oh, no. As these guys just never go away once they once they get in there. But like Jay, you know, won a football championship in the Arena League, and they kept with the Orlando Predators, and that counts for something, you know. Didn't Didn't we have like reader questions, or did we do them all? Uh, yeah, we actually we had a few, but I didn't want to keep up everybody's time, and we could save them for for later on, unless y'all have about. You remember when we're gonna do a forty-five minutes. minute show? I'm old enough to do that. Yeah, or old enough to remember that. <laughs> do y'all, do y'all have a little bit more time. Listen, you got five more minutes. Listen, I'm never gonna be back here again for like another year, so why not? <laughs> All right, sounds good. So uh, the first question we have here, BFD, is from at Smith Grandma, and he uh, so this is kind of like a rapid fire thing, right? I got four quick questions for you. The first one, Tim Kelly, can we trust him? No. Warring or Thomas? Much love, man. Warring or Much Thomas, love. which one doesn't make the roster? Warring. More snaps, Edgy Ofer or Martin? Martin. Do Cooks and Stills combine for more catches and yards than DeAndre Hopkins in Arizona? No. Well, the answer is no, but I think ultimately the answer is kind of irrelevant in a lot of ways, too. Mm-hmm. So, all right, Rivers. So, Tim Kelly, can we trust him? Probably not. Warring or Thomas, who doesn't make the roster? Thomas. More snaps, Edgy Ofer or Martin? Martin. Do you Cooks and Stills combine for more catches and yards than DeAndre Hopkins in Arizona? Probably. Uh, yeah, I, I think Kelly, I think it's just like, I got third nipple on Bill O'Brien's tummy. Uh, I think I pick Waring over Thomas, Martin over Edgeofer, and I think I think Cooks and Stills combined for more because maybe they do thirteen hundred. Hopkins does like twelve hundred and you know nine touchdowns in Arizona. Um, but it's yeah, I only yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be wild to watch Hopkins and Christian Kirk and Fitzgerald and Drake and all those guys in Arizona this year. So the last of your question we have here is from Carlos Flores, uh, for, writer on the show, been on the podcast, we'll have him on soon to do a Remember Some Guys episode. So Rivers, what are your guesses on Deshaun Watson's contract extension length and dollar amount? And also how much guaranteed money do you think he'll get? I mean, I, that's one of those things where I don't even really consider it because at that point it's more just like, I don't care what the amount is. Just sign the guy. <laughs> Like, 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 I haven't actually delved into the dollar figures. I'm sure he's going to make 40 million a season when it's all said and done. Um, I guess I would say, off the top of my head, like five years, maybe 
maybe like a hundred million guaranteed. That sounds about right. And so that'd be what, like thirty-seven million a year, something like that. Yeah, somewhere, so, somewhere in like the thirty-five to forty million a year range, I think, is where Watson will settle. Yeah, I can see that. My one thing that I'm looking forward to because I, I don't see Bill Bryan ever ever going anywhere. I don't see him ever dying. He's like the judge at the Blood Meridian, and I am excited though for Bill Bryan in like 2022 to be like, well, you know, to pull the Ryan Grigson card and say, you know, it's really difficult to build a, f- a football team whenever your left tackle and franchise quarterback make a combined sixty million dollars a year. Uh, it's a very difficult thing to do. What about you, BFD? What do you think Deshaun Watson's contract length, amount, and guaranteed money will be worth? What I bet you, what I think is going to happen is he's going to go do shorter for more. I, so I think we're going to see a tonsil type contract. So what I would see is probably like three or four years at 40 a year with a, I don't even, 90 guaranteed. I think it's going to be, I think he's going to follow that. I think that's what Dak Prescott's kind of going for right now. And I'm seeing that as kind of a trend. So you can get not one, but two paydays before you're done as a football player. And I think that, that Watson's going to go for that as well. Yeah. Kirk Cousins screwed the whole game up with his you know, mm-hmm. three year, $90 million contract all guaranteed. Um, yeah. I can see something like that. Whatever it is, he's worth it. It needs to happen soon. And actually I lied. We have one more question from app at, app at up. Oh God. Uh, Rivers, what, what, uh, he's going to get a Nintendo Switch in the mail. Do you have any games to recommend for him? I don't have a Nintendo Switch, but uh, I hear people like it to cross their animals now. I guess that's a thing. Yeah, I think the game's only for babies and girls, though, but I don't know. Well, so, so it works for him, then. <laughs> Got him. Uh, BFD, do you have any, any Nintendo video games you should get on this thing? Mario Kart. That's kind of the only one we play on it. Good. Yeah, I don't have anything at all. I I did uh, not reinstall, but I blew the dust off of MVP Baseball of five and hit like six singles with Michael Young today, and so that felt pretty good. <laughs> so you should do that instead. In thirty hours. If they ask for Super Nintendo recommendations, I'd be like, you definitely should play Soul Blazer. Also. Uh, play out of the park 21 that's a big game i've been playing way too much of that yeah i can't play that game it's it it sucks up my entire day because i do all the managing stuff and then i start looking at all these players and never heard of before and then you know nine not not, not like four hours go by you know i uh managed the monterey amberjacks of the pecos league to a uh 65 and 6 record this year i just want you to know i like that I thought about putting the Frontier League in there as a, a baseball team I interned for, and I'm sure it's probably some form already. I can just download that and take the Florence Freedom to the championship they didn't win that year. Oh, yeah, they're in there. Oh, cool. I'll have to, maybe I'll have to do that. I'll drink 100 beers by myself and, and intern at the Florence Freedom all over again. Um, so anyways, that's our show for tonight. We'll be back on sometime next week to record another show. Every time I think there's nothing else left, there's always something. But thanks for being on tonight, Rivers. Maybe we can get you on twice this year instead of just once this year. And uh, thanks for being on tonight, BFD. It was great talking to you again.